With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Recorded live. Welcome, everyone, to our Sunday night Bible study on TalkShoe. Glad to have you folks there tonight in the chat room. Especially good to have one of my fellow alumni from where I went to Bible school, Sister Beverly. It's a blessing to have you there tonight, Sister. It surely is. It's always good to see somebody coming around to the truth that went through the same teaching that I went through. Anyway, hope you guys are doing well tonight. How you doing, Brother Jason? I'm doing pretty well, praise the Lord. Amen, brother. Amen. It's glad, I'm glad you're here, brother. We, I'm glad you're here. I was late getting in just like you was. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But anyway, folks, tonight we're going to be in Mark 
chapter 8 eventually, but before we get started in uh, Mark chapter 8, I'm going to do something that um, I should have done a long time ago, because yeah, uh, so, some of the people that come here, well, a lot of them that come in and go, have no idea what spiritual understanding is, and I'm I, and that's what the New Testament is all about, is spiritual understanding. What I'm going to do, I'm going to give you one of the simplest illustrations and examples as I can. I thought about many, but I thought about one in particular of spiritual understanding. So you can see when I mention that, what I'm talking about when it comes to studying the scriptures. All right? It's not something that just floats down out of the sky. It'll have a basis with the Word of God, and then the Spirit of God, who is the teacher, will bring these things to light. Okay? That's how it comes about. It doesn't come, you don't have no dream or get knocked on the head somewhere walking down the street. That's not spiritual understanding. Okay? That's not spiritual understanding. That may be an outside influence that's trying to direct you in a certain way since nothing happens to a Christian by chance, but that's not spiritual understanding. Spiritual understanding comes from the Word of God and the completed canon that God has put his stamp of approval on, and it will deal with W-O-R-D-S. Not a message, not a certain doctrine, but it will deal with the words of God that has come to us from God the Father as his divine revelation to his people. Right? Having said that, and before we get started into this, Brother Jason, if you would open us in a word of prayer, brother. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that you bless us tonight. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together in your name and study your word. Lord, we lift Brother Don up to you. We ask that you bless him and and, and guide him, Lord, as, as he goes through these scriptures. We also pray that for those that might download this program, Lord, that you would give them eyes to see and ears to hear and that you would touch their hearts. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 All right, Brother Jason, I um, I told you earlier to turn to Colossians chapter 1, right? Yes, sir. Okay, I want you to go down while I'm talking to, we'll start with verse 9. Well, folks, when um, this spiritual understanding is, I've mentioned before, and I'm going to try to slow down and explain this line upon line, precept upon precept to where it can be understood in the natural, then you can take it into the spiritual, okay? The way this thing, like I said, it works is it comes from the Word of God taught by the Holy Spirit. This is basic, basic Christianity 101, okay? 101, this is as simple a doctrine, this is the milk of the Word, and this is what every new believer should get down in their head to start with. If they're taught the milk and taught to put the pre put the preeminent spot in the Word of God like it should be done, see, that's why there's so much trouble today. 
You know, I rant and raved about it the other night about nobody using a solid, absolute authority and and foundation to build on. Of course, their their doctrine is going to be like sinking sand. Of course, their faith is not going to grow. Of course, they're going to find they find one black and white truth, and they're going to spin around forever on that, and that's all they can talk about. Of course it's going to be that way. If they're not taught right, let's, let's put it in, an, in natural perspective for a second. You take somebody that's mother and daddy were dope addicts, and they have a child, and they raise this child, and all that child sees is fornicating, adultery, taking drugs, filthy mouth, you know, stealing all the big kingpin sins, all right? That's all they see for the first 12, 13 years of their life. And they're just drug up. You know what it's going to take to turn it around? It's going to take an outside force that's going to play to do something to, to wake somebody up, all right? Now, I'm speaking in a natural sense, but I'm directing it toward the spiritual. Same thing when it comes to being taught in the Word of God. Give an example of what takes place out there. Billy Graham, who was at one time, years and years and years and years ago, was a good evangelist. All right? And when he would have converts, he would turn them back in to the Catholic Church or to some off-the-wall denomination, send them right back into the same myth. They would never grow. They'd be spinning their wheels. He never exalted the Word of God into its preeminent place for them to have the foundation. That's just a little example. And today, that you know, Billy Graham, all these kind, con- and he's all wet now and apostatized, and I wouldn't recommend anybody to pay any attention to anything he had to say today. I'm talking about it one time, all right? But that's what he did. Turned everybody back in to wherever they come from or the ones who didn't have anybody to go let the Catholic Church suck them in. The old whore. The one that's been apostatized for going on for way over a thousand years. All right? Almost 1,500. Started out in the premises okay and then went downhill, which happens to everything that doesn't get the right influence from the outside. Anyway, that's just two off-the-wall examples. Now, we're going to go to the Word of God, all right? Now, I want you, and you'll see these words, how important it is. I'm going to break it down. I'm going to take you, and I'm going to show you how I study. And this is a way that I'm just telling you, if you want the Lord to open your eyes to things, you should do this as well, okay? You can, you can do it or not. Hey, it's a free country. Do what you want to do. I'm just giving you an example, okay? Colossians chapter 1, Brother Jason, and read verse 9 at the par- where it starts at the paragraph, Mark, okay? For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all all wisdom, and spiritual understanding. Okay, stop right there for just a second. Okay, I'm reading I'm reading this word, and I see this wisdom and knowledge and spiritual understanding. 
Okay, if I'm studying, I'll just... Now, remember, I'm taking this out of the wild blue, folks, to show you something. I take this word spiritual, and I'll look in the concordance, and I find out that, my goodness, it's only used one time in the Old Testament. What's going on here? And I turn back there, and I find out that the only place that this word S-P-I-R-I-T-U-A-L is used in the whole Old Testament 39 books, he is in Hosea, and in the context of where it appears, it's bad. It's dealing with Ephraim being demon-possessed or something along those lines. Well, I go on and I go to the New Testament, I say, whoa, here are the words used 28 times. And Apostle Paul uses it every single time, except for two. And those two places is in First Peter chapter 1 and chapter 2 used by Peter. Well, what's going on here? Why is it so important and only one apostle uses it so much? Well, if you read the New Testament, you find out that it was delivered to him, what he calls his gospel, the gospel of the grace of God. And he was taught by Jesus Christ not by any other apostle. See, you're starting to build it together. You realize that he tells you in black and white, I didn't receive this by man, neither was I taught it by man, but by revelation from Jesus Christ himself. So you say, this must be important because Paul's the one that uses it so much. And then you find out when you see in First Peter Chapter 1, chapter 2, the places he uses it there, it's in reference to things Paul taught. So Peter got it from Paul. All right? Spiritual. That word spiritual. And in Colossians here, we see that he's Paul's praying that they might be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, if you wanted to find out the, what his will was, you put in will, and you find out what Paul told you in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. That is the perfect will of God for every individual Christian. Then you see, with all his will, all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Okay? There's three different things there. This spiritual understanding, what could it possibly be? All right? I just showed you how you find out. You run the reference on the word, not a thought on the word on a word. All right? And then when you put it together, it paints a picture. It's not in the Old Testament. Now, listen, don't take my word for nothing. You check out everything I'm saying. I might be making this up to teach you a false doctrine or teach you a false way, okay? You check me out. You run the references yourself and see that I'm telling you the truth. Be a Berean. Whether they check it out daily, whether these things be so, or whether I fall into the category with those these other... Um, well, anyway, you know what I mean. Check it out. Then, see, once you put this together, you you start seeing in the context where it appears, it starts painting a picture 
about this spiritual thing. Then in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you see where Paul tells you plainly that we're taught by comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Brother Jason, and let's see if I'm lying. First Corinthians chapter two. <clears throat> okay. Start in verse six. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For he, excuse me, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Okay, stop right there just a second. Okay, a lot of people will quote that verse and not read the next verse because the next verse opens the door. Go ahead. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. By his what? Spirit. By his spirit. But God hath revealed these hidden things unto us by his spirit. Okay? Go ahead. Now we're going to find out about who's spiritual and who's not. Go ahead. For the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him. Now, every man has this little s spirit that's called the spirit of man. Go ahead, brother. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Okay, big S, Holy Spirit. Little s up here in the same verse, spirit of man. Here in the same verse, big S, spirit of God. Okay? That this should be, this should just be glaringly simple to get right now, okay? Verse 12, brother. Now we have received not the spirit of the world. Okay, this is a little s, spirit of the world or spirit of man. Go ahead. But the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Okay, it says that they, but we have received, okay, there has to be a time when you didn't have it for you to receive it. Is that plain? You don't receive something unless you didn't have it and then you got it. You receive it. What did Peter tell them in Acts chapter 2? All right. Actually, I'm not going to make Jason go there. I'll go. I'll just quote it. And the people said, "What must we do?" And Peter said, "Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins, 
and you will receive the gift, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All right? Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the national message to the Judeans to start with with Peter. Okay? Peter's even got that. This is given to Peter. This is a national message given to national Judea, and the ones that were scattered about they had come on the day of Pentecost so they could hear how to receive this Spirit. All right? That's the way Acts begins, to receive the Spirit. You know, I'm not going to get off and go on and, and drag it on out. They, those, that bunch received the Spirit that way right then. And I will, later on, when Paul's dealing, as the book, as the book transitions through its chapters, and the Apostle Paul's called out, he runs across some of the, apostle, some of the converts under John the Baptist they don't even know whether there be a Holy Spirit or not. That's what Paul asked them. Have you not received the Spirit? We don't even know whether there be a Holy Ghost or not. Well, what does Paul do? He immediately preaches the gospel to them, and they receive it and they're baptized. That's Paul, okay? Later on, way later on in the book of Acts, around chapter 18 or 19, as the book's progressing. But anyway, the point I'm trying to get across is somebody didn't have the Spirit, they had to receive it, and that's the only way you're going to understand it by this, by having the Spirit of God, receiving the Spirit of God. At a certain period of time, that's what the book says, not my opinion. And Paul's fixing to get down and dirty and plain in the next few verses. Go ahead, Brother Jason. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. You got it? You see how important that word spiritual was? Not as man's wisdom teaches. See, man can only teach wisdom that's black and white, that's seeable, that's touchable that he can relate to in the course of this world. You see, that's why you're always hearing me scream about this. Because it's, it's evident, if you listen to a lot of people that claim the Anglo-Israel truth, they, anybody can get that. That's knowledge. I've told you that before. There's nothing spiritual about the Anglo-Israel truth. That's a natural thing. That is black and white. Anybody that follows the Scripture and believes what they read and throws out their preconceived ideas or else the Holy Ghost, they're already a Christian and the Spirit of God moves on that pliable, teachable heart and their heart's not hardened to truth, they will see it. You can take somebody off the street out here and that has not been has no preconceived thoughts and show them they'll follow it. They'll go down, hey, this is the first place in this book you call the Bible that this word you occurs. Well, let's see. And then you show they can see this, that there's a difference between Jews and Israel right there in the context if they if they if they've got a sixth grade education and can understand context. They can also understand that this word J-E-W did not occur 
to anybody beforehand, before this period in history. Moses wasn't a Jew. Abraham wasn't a Jew. David wasn't a Jew. You can go on. Joseph wasn't a Jew. None of them people were called Jews. This is the first place it occurs, and the natural man can get that. See, we hadn't got to a spiritual truth yet. We're dealing with natural. And Paul has laid it out very plain here. And he's fixing, like I said, fixing to get down and dirty. Continue reading, brother. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Okay. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. He, and, and he don't. He can't. And Paul's telling you that right here. Go ahead, brother. For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Have you people noticed how many times we've seen that word spiritual in this one chapter? Don't you think that would send off bells in somebody's mind that must be important? Words, see? Why I'm always screaming about words. W-O-R-D-S, you see? That's why I told y'all in the previous program, unless you've got the words of God, you don't know whether you're being taught the truth, whether you're receiving the truth, whether God's lying or whether he's not. You don't know. You've got to have that foundation. You've got to have those words, else anything you think you know might be wrong. And God promised he would preserve his W-O-R-D-S forever. Not my opinion. That's the word of God out of God's own mouth. Here it says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Their foolishness unto him. Ever wonder why people make fun, come on this program sometimes, and make fun? and cuss and curse and say some of the most ungodly things, well, the bell should be ringing in your mind at why they do what they do. There's only two answers to that, folks. Not three. Not one. There's two. Continue reading, brother. For their foolishness unto him from their own. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. They are spiritually discerned, and if he hasn't received the Spirit of God, he can't know them. They're foolishness unto him. Therefore, legitimately and rightly so, he makes fun of them because he can't know them in his natural mind. Can't be done. Oh, he can say he does and fake it, but to know it in the heart and apply it can't be done. Paul plainly tells you that here. Verse 15, brother. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. The man that's got the Spirit of God can understand all things in this book. All right? That's just, that's just the way it is, folks. That's just the way it is. 
So then the question, the bells start ringing, uh, receive the Spirit of God. See, the reason I mentioned progressive while ago was because in, after Paul was taught what he was taught by Jesus Christ, you realize that there's nothing physical that you do that makes you receive the Spirit. It's all done by the Holy Ghost. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. See, it went from literal to spiritual. The Holy Ghost is the one that does the baptizing. The Holy Ghost is the one that seals you to the day to the day of redemption. We've done been through all that. You ought to have that down pat. You see, it went from literal to start with in the book of Acts to spiritual later on after the revelation was given to the Apostle Paul. Okay? Now that's the first example I wanted to give you, folks, of studying and spiritual understanding, okay? Now then, we're going to go just a tiny bit deeper, all right? If you've been taught right since the beginning, then your foundation has been laid by the Holy Spirit of God. And anything that comes up or as you're studying the Word of God, be turning to Genesis chapter 24, brother. As you're studying the Word of God, then the Holy Spirit will pick out certain things, and ding, 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 ring your bell as you're going through when it's time for you to get it, okay? I will put that caveat in there because sometimes you, a person grows into certain things that he receives from the Spirit. The Lord doesn't dump everything on a child to start with. We went through that the other night in Hebrews chapter 5 and chapter 13, if you remember how we ended the program. If not, go back and listen to it. All right, because as a person grows, they grow from milk, from bread, right on into meat. And that meat, it, it, it hones your senses if you've got to the point where you can receive it to discern both good and evil. See, that's, a spir that's spiritual understanding. But a baby can't eat meat. They puke. They throw up. They can't chew it. They don't have any teeth. See, God has taken the natural things of this world, to t and if a person watches and pays close attention, can learn a spiritual truth. And that's what I'm trying to show you folks right now. I'm trying to get this out of the way, finally, for, and I'll probably have to come back and do it again as we'll get new listeners, which is fine with me. That's what I'm here for, okay? Genesis chapter 24 I'm going to show you folks two verses. And I want you to look at these two verses very close and see if the Lord shows you anything out of it. And then I will explain to you a spiritual teaching out of those two verses that should, should absolutely make joy come in your heart if you love the Lord Jesus. And it will show you how the Spirit of God can show you things by His W-O-R-D-S. See, if you just took the context of this chapter and the, and the blatant black and white knowledge, I can tell you the story where anybody can get it. A child in Sunday school can get it. But I'm going to show you some spiritual understanding out of it. Right? That only the Spirit of God can show a spiritual person. Okay, Brother Jason, read verse 29 
in Genesis chapter 24 to verse 31. And Rebekah had a brother, and his name was Laban. And Laban ran out unto the man, unto the well. And it came to pass, when he saw the earring and bracelets upon his sister's hands, and when he heard the words of Rebekah his sister, saying, Thus spake the man unto me, that he came unto the man, and behold, he stood by the camels at the well. And he said, Come in, thou blessed of the Lord, wherefore standest thou without? For I have prepared the house and room for the camels. Okay, you can stop there, brother. Okay, folks, you've heard me in the in the past tell you about these different meanings in Scripture. You have a doctrinal meaning that will uh, you can find a doctrine. It'll be in the context where it appears, using line upon line, precept upon precept. Isaiah chapter twenty-eight, where it tells you how to find D O C T R I N E. All right, I, I, surely y'all don't want me to have to go back through that again. Surely you understand. All right? It tells you plainly who shall understand knowledge and doctrine. Okay? It tells you how to do it by putting line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. In other words, the whole book is integrated. The whole Word of God is integrated from Genesis to Revelation. You can take a line, you take a line here and put a line with another line and align with another line throughout the Word of God. They're all over the Word of God to come to a certain context, which is the precept, with the precept upon precept, line upon line. There you come upon a doctrine. All right? The Word of God has doctrinal meanings, which are rock solid. It has historical meanings where, you know, you can, when the Word of God says it, you can say that's true. When you go to secular history, you don't have a clue whether it's true or not. Somebody could be puffing up their own head. Somebody could be lying to you. You folks should know in this Internet age about the revisionist history and all the things that goes on, all right? How Hitler can go from being the man of the year to the most demonized person that ever lived just by the stroke of a pen and media. See what I'm saying? That's history. So that's the most unreliable thing that you could possibly use to, try to, to, to even associate yourself with in this day and age because there is so many, there's so much lies going on that it's pitiful. Okay, you got doctrine, and you got a spiritual meaning, and you got historical meanings. Three meanings in the scriptures that you will be able to use and pull out, and to teach and to understand. The doctrinal meanings, like I said earlier, they will be more clear. They will stick out. All right, as you paint the picture. The spiritual meanings, all, get this, write this down. 
the spiritual meanings always, 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 I'll say it one more time, always come from the standard absolute doctrinal teaching. They do not stand by themselves. They come from the foundation. They come from the truth, from a truth revealed by the Spirit of God. That's the way we get a spiritual truth. Now, there's a spiritual truth here in verses 29 to 30. Now, I wonder wonder if anybody in the chat room can tell me what that spiritual truth is. Now, I'm going to listen. I'm going to wait for just a few minutes and see if anybody can show me what the spiritual truth is in verses 29 through 30. It is a big one. <laughs> it's a big one. But it's built, the truth is built on a doctrine. The spiritual truth is built on a doctrinal truth. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a spiritual truth. It would be fantasy. And I'm going to give it a few minutes and see if anybody can even touch on it a little bit. This is not nothing new, folks. This is well known, okay? That's, I'm, this is a, a little mini test I'm giving, all right? Brother Jason, Brother Kevin, y'all got any idea about it? I, I don't. Do what? I, I don't. Okay. It's okay. And it's not a slam if you don't, folks. All right? It's not. It's not. That's the reason I'm teaching and you're out there, okay? And it ain't got nothing to do with big eyes and little U's. It's got to do with different callings, okay? So don't get that kind of thought. Don't think I'm trying to push my old intellect on anybody because I'm not. I'm just a servant, and a poor one at that. Anybody writing anything, Brother Kevin? No, sir. Okay. All right. Verse 29, and Rebecca. Who's Rebecca? (laughs) Rebecca is going to be Isaac's wife. Who is Isaac? He's Abraham's son. In Isaac shall thou seed be called. You hear me talk all the time about typology, don't you folks? And, so, and the majority of you folks, well, I know Sister um, Beverly knows about typology, and some of you other folks are starting to get a handle on it. Brother David knows a little bit about it. I'm going to show you how scriptural typology is right here. Okay? Isaac is the greatest type of Christ that there is. Okay? One of the greatest types. In Isaac shall thy seed be called. Isaac. Remember what Abraham did with him in Genesis 22? Was going to act. Was going to sacrifice him, and the lamb and the ram was caught in the in the in the bushes. You know, 
And Abraham told Isaac, said, hey, I knew God had raised him. In other words, I'm just going to add a little bit. I knew God had raised him up if I did kill him. So Isaac's the type of Christ. Well, then who would Rebekah be? You see, Isaac's a solid doctrinal type of Christ. Doctrinally sound. Anybody knows it. Old and New Testament. It's mentioned in the New as in the Old. Well, then who would Rebecca be? Come on, David Kennedy. Beverly, you know what I'm talking about. Who's Rebecca? What's she a type of? Stephen said Israel. No, Rebecca's a type of the bride of Christ, Isaac's wife. Rebecca is a type, if Isaac's a type of Christ, Rebecca's a type of the church. I'm talking about the elect called out. I'm not talking about corporate. See, that's the difference. That's, that's the difference. Not corporate, not national. Individuals called out in the new covenant called the elect of God, the remnant according to the election of grace. Romans chapter 11, verse 6. And Galatians chapter 6, verse 16. Okay, if she's a type of the church and Isaac is a type of Christ, let us read a little bit closer. There's something here the Spirit of God's trying to show us. Right? There's another character involved here. Who is this? Laban. What does it say about Laban in these two verses? Read the read the read the verses again, brother Jason, verse twenty nine through thirty one. And Rebekah had a brother, and his name was Laban. Now then, you see, that's kinsman. You got it. That's her kin. Keep that in mind. Okay, we're talking about the election of God. This is her kinsman, not a Ubangi. You see. Not an off-the-wall something. This is kinsman. Now let's go continue on, brother. And Laban ran out unto the man. Okay, unto the well. we have another character here. The man. You've got the, chur- you've got the bride. You've got the bridegroom. Now who's, what in the world possibly could this other man be? But he's the kinsman, remember? He's the brother of Rebekah. Well, we find out later on in, in Genesis, his name is Eleazar. Type of the Holy Spirit. Rock solid type of the Holy Spirit. How do you know? Because he, Eleazar, went to find Isaac's bride. Abraham sent him out, and he warned him over and over and over again, only get a bride from our kinsmen. See, the, the, the Judeo-Christians, they, they'll understand part of They miss one of the rock-solid, hard parts of this. It has to be kinsmen. Eliezer's a type of the Holy Spirit of God. That's the servant here. 
Laban, you're going to watch it. Watch it now. Continue reading, brother. And it came to pass when he saw the earring and bracelets upon his sister's hands. Okay. You see these earrings and bracelets? He sees on his sister's hand. That's something outward that Laban sees. He still don't know about this other man, this, this servant, who's a type of Eleazar, the Holy Spirit. But he sees these bracelets. This bracelet earrings, something outward, something outward. Go ahead, brother, continue reading. And when he heard the words of Rebecca... Rebecca and- is speaking now to her kinsman. She's, you, you want to break it on down? She's telling him what has happened to her. She's telling one of her kinsmen what has happened to her through this man... This servant, Eleazar, and she, he, and Eleazar has seen the outward gifts that this servant has bestowed on her. So first, he sees the outward things on this individual, on the bride. And then she starts talking. She starts telling about this servant and about what he's given her. This is witnessing, folks. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. For in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. But it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Even to them that believe on his name. You got it? Continue reading, brother. And when he heard the words of Rebekah his sister, saying, Thus spake the man unto me, that he came unto the man, and behold, he stood by the camels at the well. Okay, after she spoke to Laban, this man comes on the scene. Eleazar, type of the Spirit of God, type of the Holy Spirit of God. What does it tell you in John 16 that the Holy Spirit's job is when he comes into the world? Convict of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. That's what this man, he comes on the scene after Rebecca starts telling him what all's went on. First of all, the first thing though, Laban sees something. He sees the manner of life. He sees the gifts that was bestowed on Rebekah. He sees the outward workings of what's happened on the inside in the New Testament or as in a Christian's life. Rebekah doesn't come on here effing and GD and blankety blanking. That would be something he would see. He wouldn't want any part of it. You see what I'm saying? You see, this is spiritual understanding, folks. This is, not a, this is not a doctrinal teaching. This is a spiritual understanding that come built, is built off of a foundational truth that cannot be denied, but you deny it at your own peril. And you've got, you got all of church history to back it up and all the fruits to back it up. 
Continue reading, brother. And he said, come in. Okay. Everything, Rebecca's talking to this guy, the guy's seen her outward stuff, the jewels, the earrings, and the spirit, after she's spoken to Laban, the spirit comes alongside, Eleazar the servant, comes alongside, ready to do his job, undoubtedly does, because in 31, Laban says, what, brother? Come in. Now, come in. Go ahead. Thou what? Blessed of the Lord. Bingo. Bingo. Turn to Revelation chapter 3, brother. I'll show you this in the New Testament. Step by step, what we've just went through. I'm, I went through it the other night, and it's in the context of the churches, and it's right there. I mentioned it the other night. This is a spiritual understanding, folks, that's built off of a foundational doctrinal truth. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry if you haven't been taught this. I'm sorry if it hadn't come through before. All right? We've all been taught lies in the past, okay? We've all, the ones that have got this far, that's come out of mainstream Christianity, well, they, hey, They've come a long way, folks. They've come a long way. Believe me, some of you folks don't understand that. I can assure you, it's like breaking through a steel wall and without the Spirit of God getting the crack started and pulling you through, I don't, it's almost impossible to get out of that because of the way the world's set up, peer pressure, and what all goes on around you with family and friends. And I know Sister Beverly will amen that at the top of her lungs. Revelation chapter 3, brother, drop down there to um, uh, verse 19. We're talking, talking. this is right after the sorriest church in the whole bunch gets rebuked, okay? This is right after he says, hey guys, you either get them by me gold, try it in the fire, and white raiment, or I'm going to spit you out of my mouth, and you're going to be found naked and miserable. All right? You know, the chastening hand of God is on these people. Now watch what the next few verses say. And I want you to see if you understand how it applies spiritually to what we just talked about. What I just showed you, okay? This little spiritual truth out of three verses. Now we're going to go all the way into the New Testament in the last book and show you the same thing come up again. Out of the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. Go ahead, brother. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Oh, this is what it I stand at the door and knock. That's the Spirit of God. Go ahead, brother. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. If any man will hear my voice, the Spirit of God, Rebecca spoke what had went on to her. 
Laban seen the things, the outward evidence of what she was speaking. And then Laban and then the servant showed up right there beside. And the next few were, come in. Laban opens the door, figuratively speaking, spiritually speaking, and invites him to come in, thou blessed of the Lord. Folks, that, what I just showed you, is a spiritual understanding out of a doctrinal truth. And the reason that nobody talks about spiritual truths out of a doctrinal truth is because they don't have a clue. It's because back in 1 Corinthians 2, it's foolishness unto them. They can't know it because it's spiritually discerned. That's just a little bitty example. All right? That's just one little small, minute example. I realize that some of the time I'm talking about stuff, some folks don't have a clue what I'm talking about. And some, it's just because they've never been down that road. It ain't got nothing to do with whether you got the Spirit or not. It's got to know with it if you've been taught the foundational truths. You get away from the true foundation, you're going to spin your wheels the rest of your Christian life, you will be chastened. You won't have a clue. You'll have no rewards. You'll lose rewards. You'll lose inheritance. You'll lose fellowship. You'll lose every. You'll lose the communion and peace of God that passeth all understanding. You won't have none of it. And it all comes from W O R D S. Words. You can make or break a foundational truth by changing the words. Why do you think that's been Satan's deal since the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3? Change one word and lose the whole meaning. See, the first attack was against God's word. And today, it's no different. It's it's exponential. The attacks are against God's word. And folks, if you don't get that, you're in bad shape. You're in severely bad shape when it comes to the judgment seat of Christ. You may you see I that's, I said the judgment seat of Christ. I didn't say the white throne judgment because there is no Christian that shows up at the white throne judgment. I said the judgment seat of Christ. That's the difference in spiritual understanding. That's the, and that's a little bitty one, okay? That's a little bitty one. There's all there's all kind of them. I mean, it's all through the Word of God. That's how important typology is in the Word of God. Your type, I mentioned it the other night, how the type of Tubal-Cain is so important. That right there proves he's the son of the devil. If you realize that the devil is literal and had pipes coming out of him, you go back and check out his progeny, 
and you see that that's where music comes from. You see? You see how that ties together? And then you build on that as you study the Word of God. You don't go in there with a knife and a chainsaw and cut the Word of God to pieces. If you do, you lose all understanding. You lose all spiritual understanding. You lose doctrinal understanding. On top of that, you get cursed. See, in in Genesis 24 is the first time the word W-O-R-D-S appears in the whole Bible. (laughs) That's the first time that W-O-R-D-S in your English Bible appears. The very first time. Remember what I mentioned about the law of first mentions? It's important. What I showed you out about the bride, the bridegroom, that's a solid Bible doctrine. There's no ambiguity to it if you believe the book. All is dependent on believing God's words. 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 Now, if that was the first place it appears, I wonder what would be in store for us if we took that concordance and went to the last place where W. O-R-D-S appears. Brother Jason turned to Revelation chapter 22. Just by chance, it also occurs in Revelation 22. Last book in your Bible. Okay. Start reading verse 18. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy... God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Say, well, that's just by chance. You really want to take a chance on that, folks? You really want to take a chance on the most supernatural thing that's ever been here, that was first put, that was given to us out from outside of time? You really want to take a chance on it? I wouldn't touch it with a ten-foot pole, folks. You do so at your own peril. A simple spiritual truth built on a doctrinal, foundational, undeniable truth if you believe the book. All right? 
Mark chapter 8, brother. Mark chapter 8, verse 1. Now, we've, we're going to see this stuff, some of the stuff come up here that we, we went over in the book of Matthew. And like I've tried to do before, we're going to try to go through here kind of pert-like, you know, a little faster than we have been. Um, we're going to run across some of these things. Like I said, that was mentioned in Matthew, we're running, going to do the same thing in John and the same thing in Luke. I reserved holding off till we get to the book of Luke and the book of John to really expound on some of the, uh, some of the miracles and some of the things that, that takes place that are reiterated in the other two Gospels. All right? I've mentioned that before. I just wanted to mention it again. Because we're fixing to run it, we're running across the you know the feeding of the of the four thousand after we just had the feeding of the five thousand and seven. You're going we're going go we're going to run across the spit used again in the in the miracles that Jesus does, and we're running across the Pharisees again. You know, coming up bad mouth. Of course, that's their job. That's the, that's what they always do. All right. Anyway, Mark chapter eight, brother, verse one. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. You know what? I wonder how many folks... You know, I, I'm, I'm not going to pound this too. I'm just going to make mention of it and we're going to go on. These folks spent three days without eating, just to be with Jesus. I know people today that has the complete canon, that has the Spirit of God, and wouldn't spend 12 hours without feeding their face. That has no clue about fasting to get prayers answered, even though I'm going to deal with it in a big way later on. Anyway, go ahead, brother. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way. For diverse of them came from far. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a remarkable thing when what's just happened in the previous chapter? <laughs> ah, yes. Go ahead, brother. And he asked them, how many loaves have ye? And they said seven. Okay, David Kennedy, can I remember what I mentioned in the last chapter when it talks about seven here, you know, twelve there, ten, all the, those numbers. Here it is in this chapter. There's something here. God doesn't put anything in his word by chance, folks. I don't know exactly what it is, but there's something here in these numbers. He doesn't repeat things over and over again for no reason. There's reason behind it. I don't know nobody that's ever figured this stuff out. I'm just throwing it out there. All right? Go ahead, brother. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks 
and brake, and gave to his disciples to set before them, and they did set them before the people. And they had a few small fishes, and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled, and they took up the broken meat that was left seven baskets. And they that had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. And straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples and came into the parts of Dalmanutha. Now, now those numbers that I mentioned, Brother David Kennedy, that I talked about in Chapter 7 in here, and the reason I keep bringing you're going to watch the Lord even mention the numbers again and a little later on. just want to tell you to keep it fresh in your mind for those that might want to study this out and let the Lord show you something that ain't shown me. I just know there's something there. It's uh, the arrangement or something. It's got to do with something because the Lord's going to say the same thing shortly. Going to bring it up. Anyway, what verse are you on, brother? 11. Okay, I'm there. Go ahead. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question with him, Seeking of him a sign from heaven. Oh yes, always after a good blessing, here comes a here comes a sap sucking devil. Always, oh it never after every mountaintop there is a valley. Okay, as long as you're treading down that path and running the course, be expecting of two things. I'll say it again: as long as you're running the race, see. That's the caveat. You've got to be running the race. Expect the mountaintops and the valleys. Behind every mountaintop, there is a deep valley. That's a promise. That's infallible. If you be without chastisement, whereby all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. I didn't write the book, folks. Whomsoever the Lord loveth, he chastens and scourges. Scourges. That's almost to the point of death. They scourge the Lord Jesus. Bleeding, bone, shall every, scourge it every son, every, no ambiguity there. Everyone, every son means every swinging soul that he receives. You be without it, whereby all are partakers, then are you a bastard, not a son. Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Know ye not that Jesus Christ not not just Christ, not anointing, not the Spirit. Know ye not Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobate. Peter says in chapter 1 of his second epistle, Brethren, with all diligence make your calling and election sure. Go ahead, brother, and Mark. Tempting him. 
And he sighed deeply in his spirit and saith, Why doth this generation seek after a sign? They don't because there's no different today. You've got people hollering about signs and wonders and miracles when they're supposed to be living by faith. The just shall live by faith. Every now and then, the Lord will throw in some handfuls of purpose. But that's up to the Lord. Because the faith is the operative thing. For without it, Hebrews eleven six, it is impossible to please God. You know what that word impossible means in the Greek? It means impossible. You got it? The just shall live by faith. If you get handfuls of purpose, great. That's wonderful. But you're supposed to live by faith, and faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Go ahead, brother. Verily I say unto you, there shall no sign be given unto this generation. I know in another place he says, there shall no sign be given unto you but the sign of the prophet Jonas. As Jonas was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man. All right? That, but that was coming anyway. He didn't, he didn't give them no specific sign. This sign that he says is the prophet Jonas is going to come either way. All right? Go ahead, brother. Brother Don, can I just ask about the word generation here that he used twice? Yeah. Does he, I mean, is it? Oh, you I'm, want me to make it race? Well, I'm, I'm wondering what it means. I'm not wanting you to do anything. <laughs> uh, it, uh, brother, it can mean race or it can mean the, the ones that are listening to him during this period of time. It could mean either one. Sometimes it purely means race. But see, you've got more than just this, but this, it doesn't give you, you've got Pharisees. Well, was Nicodemus here? Was Joseph of Arimathea here? You see what I'm saying? It doesn't specify particulars here in this place. When it means a, a particular bunch, when you can tell it's a particular bunch, I always make the I take the time to say just a period the race. But here it says the Pharisees. Well, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and he was he was an, a, an Israelite. Okay, John chapter three. Joseph of Arimathea was an Israelite. He took Christ's body. That's why I'm not going to make any distinction. You understand? I understand. Okay, go ahead. And he left them, and entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. Say, brother, let me let me expound on what. I, listen, I'm just be, I just want to be careful. All right, I, I treat God's word. I try to treat God's word with respect. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? I'm just not going to blatantly say something that that the text doesn't specifically put out there. You understand? I understand. I just I, the the question popped in my head because you know obviously the the Lord cho- chose this words very you know specifically and generation was used here twice. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's I, I, that's good. That's good that you saw that it popped out twice. That's excellent. <laughs> that's excellent, brother. Go ahead. And he 
left them and entering into the ship again departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. Okay, the leaven of the Pharisees. That's false doctrine no, no, no matter who's telling it. It, could be, it, be, it can be coming out of the mouth of a purest Israelite that could possibly be. But more than likely, it was the Babylonian Edomites that that infiltrated and messed and put put forth the traditions more than the Word of God. Okay? So even Herod has got leaven. What does this mean? Does this mean the Herodians? Or is it just talking about Herod, period? Because Herod is an Edomite. See what I'm saying? You can tie this together. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. They're, what do they both have in common? Some of the Pharisees are Edomites, and Herod was an Edomite. You can tie that together. Make sense, Brother Jason? Yes, sir. Verse 16. And they reasoned among themselves, saying... It is because we have no bread. <laughs> they, they, they still don't get it. Folks, they, there is a, they're, they're the specific reason that the disciples can be told this stuff over and over and over again and not get it is simply this. They have not yet received the spiritual circumcision and the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. That's why. That's why all that's why some of these doctrines that these people come up with out there about the spirit going all the way through and you you know all the way from Adam who we've always had the spirit all that junk all that junk that's one of the reasons that these that the apostles they didn't some of stuff they didn't have a clue about even the Lord calls their hand on some of it. He can tell them one day, and then the next day they're doubting. <laughs> they haven't yet received the Holy Spirit. How do I know this? John 16, if I don't go away, the Comforter will not come. You see? As long as he's here, the Spirit, the, that Holy Spirit's not here. So that's how you come to that conclusion, folks. There's no ifs, ands, muts, buts about it. The Spirit of God has not fallen yet. Nobody's received nothing yet. There is no spiritual circumcision. There is no new covenant salvation yet. It hasn't happened. It can only happen after the death of the testator. Hebrews chapter 3 showed you. The testament is not in effect till after the death of the testator. And in the New Covenant, the New Testament, the Spirit's indwelling. It seals. It teaches. It rebukes. It ain't come yet. It can't come till Christ is gone. He tells them that in John 16. Go ahead, brother. 
And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye, because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand. Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, see ye not. Having ears, hear ye not. And do ye not remember? <laughs> he busted them. They don't have spiritual eyes. They don't have spiritual ears. And on top of that, they can't even remember the simplest thing that he got through telling them in the previous chapter. Go ahead, brother. He covers all the bases in that, in that one verse. Go ahead. When I break the five loaves among five thousand... How many baskets full of fragments took ye up? Okay, David Kennedy, there's something here. He's asking them about numbers. Not just the act and what he, the miracle. He's asking numbers. Go ahead, brother. They say unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, seven. Seven, twelve, Herod, the Pharisees, leaven, compared with the previous chapter. There's something there, folks. There's something there. I don't profess to know it. I'm just telling you it's there. Lori never showed it to me. I'm not a big one on those numbers and stuff. All right? But there's something there. Somebody that's a lot smarter than me can figure it out. Go ahead, brother. And he said unto them, How is it that ye do not understand? Oh, Lord. <laughs> Go ahead. And he cometh to Bethsaida. See, he just drops the ball right there. He just stops. How is it you still don't get it, guys? That the leaven I'm talking about, you see, you have to separate. You have to separate, but yet it's got something to do with it. You have to separate the leaven of Herod and the Pharisees with the seven and twelve compared to the previous chapter of the, le- br- the loaves and bread. See, in one place it was 4,000, and in another place it's 5,000. See, there, there, it's all, there, there's more, it's deeper understanding, folks. There's something there. There's something there that the Spirit of God wants to show somebody. You just got to spend time with him in prayer in the Word of God and, and let the Spirit of God show you. I, I, I never took the time to do it, but I know it's there. Go ahead, brother. And they bring a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. Okay. In the previous chapter, he stuck his hand in the guy's ears and then spit and then reached and got some dust. This is a different ball game here. He takes him by the hand, leads him out of town, And when he had spit on his eyes, how would you like it if somebody spit in your face? Hmm? You say, yeah, come on, folks, get real. Let's get, let's get real. 
can you imagine what the people were thinking that was watching this going on? He spit in his eyes. I mean, if they forgot that he could turn, that he could feed 5,000 with a few loaves, if they forgot that, can you imagine what they was thinking when he was spitting in somebody's face? (laughs) Ah, yes. Go ahead, brother. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. This is a grand illustration of how men, how trees typify men in the Word of God. That's See, the Lord could have just said, boop, you're healed. He could just uh, spit in his face and that done it all, but he didn't. He took the time to separate it, folks, and give you this seemingly ambiguous, un- un- unnecessary verse 24 to get to the ultimate end of verse 25. Why is that? Nothing's in this book by chance, folks. Trees are likened unto men. This is a great illustration. You got some men that are even Christian. You got Christian men that some of them are like pine trees. You heard me use this before. They grow quick, seemingly. They grow, they get a lot of head knowledge, and, and, and then the first wind that comes by knocks them down. They, they grow quick, turn green, oh yes, 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 they grow fast. And you got an oak tree out there beside the pine tree, and it grows so slow. I mean, for it takes, it, you have to, you know, it grows so slow. And it just sucks in the water and sucks in the nutrients out of the soil. And you can't grow nothing around an oak tree. You know that, don't you? Because the oak tree sucks all the nutrients out of the ground. You couldn't grow a tomato plant beside a a live oak or a red oak. wouldn't work because the oak tree draws all that food, see. But when it gets up there, when it gets... To its mature state, it the wind can blow, and the lightning could strike and knock a limb off, and the wind can blow, 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 and it'll bend, 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 bend. But when that wind quits blowing, it'll pop it right back up. And you know that the oak tree puts off oxygen that we breathe. You ever noticed in its in an in a oak forest, it's cool. It cools the ones that's hot. You can have a million pine trees, folks, and walk in there, and it's so hot. You, you, have, it, you can have a, a spontaneous fire in a, in a pine thicket because it puts off heat. It doesn't give out oxygen. It sucks it up. It sucks it up, and it's miserable around the pine tree. It doesn't do nothing for the ones outside, like the oak tree. Starting to get the illustrations. Do I have to spell it out any clear? See there, I gave you an illustration that you can use for daily living and how this works in the Christian life. I didn't take the word trees and run off to 
Ezekiel 28 and talk about the cedar of Lebanon and, and talk about how in the Garden of Eden. I didn't do that, see. I could, but I'm not. You've heard that crap come out of all kind of folks' mouth. That's head knowledge. That's not spiritual understanding, folks. That's not nothing you can use tomorrow and the next day to help you elect on your way, the elect of God on their way to get what's deserving at the judgment seat of Christ that they take into the kingdom where they rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. See, knowing those trees in the Garden of Eden and in, um, you know, it talks about in Ezekiel 28 and back there, that doesn't do jack squat for your clothing to keep from being found naked at the judgment. That does not do nothing for your rulership and your ability through wisdom that you've learned during your training period to dictate the laws and put the laws out during the kingdom age. You see, there's a lot of folks got it bass ackards, folks. One's gray matter material, the other one's heart material. One can have all the gray matter material that they want, but from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And you'll know the tree by the fruit it bears. See what I mean? That's the difference. It's a difference in a pine tree and an oak tree. Oh, yes. Continue, brother. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. Absolutely. When he started looking up and everything was all right. Continue on, brother. And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town, nor tell it to any in the town. And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi and went, excuse me, and by the way he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? Okay. We've done went through this in Matthew 24, and I spent a lot of time dealing with Peter, you know, and Satan. How he one minute say, "He blessed are thou, Simon Bar Jonas, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to thee, but my Father which is in heaven." Two or three steps down the road, he turns around and calls him Satan. <laughs> Something really to build your Catholic church on, right? They built their church is built on Satan. <laughs> anyway, go ahead, brother. And they answered John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answereth and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. 
And okay, let, let me give, give you a little spiritual nugget here. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about you, folks. It doesn't matter about what other people say. Jesus wants to know what you think. Everybody else can say everything they want. They can yell off you would, and they can y'all worry, and they can do all that stuff. It doesn't matter about them. Look at the fruit. Look at the fruit. See, Jesus cares about what you individually think. That national junk comes later. That's a different ball game, different time. Different judgment, different everything. Because the nation's done rejected him. John 1 1, right on through. Folks, I'm telling you, this is bulletproof. The remnant, according to the election of grace in Romans 11, that's the election according to grace. That's the church. That is the, the uh, Israel of God of Galatians chapter 6, verse 16. National comes on down there in 24 through 27. Romans 11. When the deliverer comes out of Zion, that's the national part. You couldn't get any clearer looking through pure water from the river of the water of life. It just takes some spiritual understanding and rightly dividing the word of truth. Continue, brother. Brother Jason. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days, rise again. Okay. He says he's going to be rejected by who? I want you to read that list again. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed. Okay, John 1, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Remember what it says there? He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many of his own did receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name. You see how it ties in with this right here? Do you see now why I was careful about not claiming every one of these Pharisees is a Jew? Hmm? Yeah, you see? Go ahead, brother. And he spake that saying openly, and... Peter took him and began to rebuke him. And when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, 
for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Just like I told you all earlier, on the other side of the mountaintop is the valley. On the other side of a blessing is suffering. It's, it's absolutely infallible. If so be that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Go ahead, brother. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Take up, okay. Whosoever will come after me, let him take up, let him deny himself. Let him deny himself. This word, these two words, deny himself, are the basis for Pauline epistles, are the basis of what Christ taught the Apostle Paul in those three years after the road to Damascus experience. That's why it's only in the Pauline epistles that you hear about crucifying yourself. Mortify therefore your members upon this earth. Reckon yourself dead. You see, all through the Pauline epistles, it's about denying yourself, denying yourself, denying yourself, crucifying the flesh, saying no to this lust, saying no to this desire. See, everybody don't want to tell you your wants don't matter. Your likes don't matter. Your mama don't matter. Your daddy don't matter. Your children don't matter in the grand scheme. It has to be done decently in order, and moderation applies to it all, but in the first, you must deny yourself. Paul says, for I am crucified, killed with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. He's still breathing. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. It's not really me living. It's Christ that liveth in me. And I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. The crucified life, the life of pain, the life of suffering, the life of self-denial, the life of putting your brother first, the life of doing without so that another may have. You want me to go on and on? That was the basis for the basic doctrines taught for over 1,500 years. Till around 1880, later on in 1890, secular humanism, where the ultimate goal was the desire of man. And man was the only, only important thing. The destruction of the Word of God, 1881. You want to trace it, run a timeline on it. How do you like it today, folks? How do you like your country? How do you like it? Self-denial. You have to, it has to be done. It's not whether you feel good or not. It's what can I do for my brother? 
What can I do for the... Because when you do for your brother, you do for the Lord. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, Paul says, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Romans 12, 1, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living, living, living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We mentioned it the other night. Folks, you can't beat this doctrine with a stick. This is Bible doctrine. Got nothing to do with no denomination. This is Bible doctrine. Not some fairy tale fantasy pulled out of the blue by misinterpreting Scripture and not taking the Word of God for what it says. Whosoever will come after me, Jesus Christ, let him deny himself. Rearrange everything to suit him. He will allow, hey folks, you don't know what the Lord's got in store for you. Once you start putting him first, everything else, he promises you if you're his, he will take care of you in the way you should be taken care of. Got nothing to do with your likes. Got nothing to do with your wants. It's got to do with his pleasure, not yours. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. How much joy and money and likes and vacations and holidays and smile do you see in a cross? How much? And follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. This saving is not salvation, by the way. This is a preserved life done in the will of God to produce the most fruit, to come out with the most eternal reward and inheritance in the kingdom. That's what this is. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. This is the extreme. 
here in verse 30. See, this is the extreme thing. This is the love of the world. This is the desires of this world system. This is going along with the flow. This is political correctness. This is worried about upsetting somebody instead of the telling, telling them the truth. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Tells you in Proverbs. Or who shall, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Rhetorical question. There's nothing that's equal to the soul. Remember the ones trafficking in the souls of men in Revelation when it's talking about the whore of Babylon? The mystery Babylon the Great that deals in the souls of men? Oh, that's another subject. Verse 38 here. Whosoever, therefore, shall be ashamed of me and my W-O-R-D-S. In this life, in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the son of man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his father remember what the Lord warned the Laodicean church about that the shame of your nakedness doth not appear telling you folks. Remember what it says in Daniel chapter 12? At the resurrection, some raised to everlasting life and some raised to everlasting shame, shame, and the contempt. Take that one word and run reference on it. Shameful, shame. In the context, having to deal with our people and with individual Christians. Run reference on it. Check it out. think I'm making this stuff up. If you believe what you read, do you really believe it? Is it strong enough to where you'll take action to do something about it? Why you have the opportunity in this three score and ten. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If you say you have no sin, you're a liar and the word is not in you. We went over that the other night. That's the Christian bar soap. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, that old, them old King Jimmy boys, them old, old sorry King James, by all them Jews they got in there, and they all this junk. According to most of the people out there, the most powerful people in the universe are the Jews. According to people out there, the Jews have absolute control over your soul, have control over your spiritual man. They're the most they're the most powerful entity in the universe. Your father can't hold him a lot. His hand's been short. Jesus Christ is nobody. It's the Jews that's got all the power. See, 
to hear them talk. You know why they say that? You know why they talk like that? Because they don't know the one with the power. I don't make no apologies for saying that. The, the proof's in the fruit. And by their fruits you shall know them. By their words they shall be justified, and by their words they shall be condemned. They love this world more than they love the Lord in His book. They love their self more than they love the Lord in His book. Everything's put before the Lord in His book. Their priority is wrong, and their soul, their actions, their life shows it. Their words dictate it, because from the heart come the issues of life. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Whosoever, therefore, shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with all the holy angels. Folks, I could spend another hour running all the references on this very context. And we're just going to go one place and then we're going to close. Turn to First uh, Peter chapter 4, brother. Just, like, just in case some of them Paul bashers, oh, that's all we talk about, Paul, Paul, Paul. Oh, don't let lying about suffering. You ain't got to do that. That's historical. That's back there. Ain't nothing about it today. That's all Paul talked about. I think Paul is the one that did all the talking about it, huh? You think it's, you think it's not mandatory? Do you, huh? You don't think it's mandatory, huh? Let's see what old Peter had to say about it. Just start. I'll tell you what. I ain't going to go with one verse, brother. I want you to read the whole chapter. I want, this, this is one of the classic chapters. This is Peter. See, I always go to Paul. I could go to Peter, but I'd take up a double amount of your time. Go into both of them. Let's see what Peter had to say about this suffering thing. Okay? Go ahead, Brother Jason. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. You got that? Do you get it? Do you get it, folks? See, the problem is, people, you've been so long. You may be 70-something years old, 50, 40. You've went your life. You hadn't heard stuff like this. Well, look around at the fruit. Look at your nation. Look at your people. Look what we've allowed. You see, that's what's problem. That's the problem. This The doctrine has changed. The book has been screwed with. Everything is degenerated because of sin, because of messing with the foundational stuff that built this nation, that built our people. 
I could give illustration after illustration after illustration from 800 to 1600 of the doctrine of what I'm trying to tell you folks is imperative for you to reach the potential in your Christian life you're supposed to. Continue, brother. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. Oh, my goodness. You say, folks, I keep on, brother. This stuff is just plain staring and shouting. Go on, go on, brother. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge and the quick, excuse me, judge the quick and the dead. For for this cause was the gospel preached, also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober, and watch unto prayer. And above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praised and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. Did you hear what Peter said? You're supposed to rejoice. Why? Because of the New Testament doctrine of Christian suffering. 
It's everywhere. It's everywhere you look in the New Testament scriptures. And you know and that's why everybody wants Brother Dave King. That's why they all want to go back to Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and De- that's why they want to stay back there. That's why they want to stay back there. And guess what? I can go to Deuteronomy 28 and 29. I can even show you the new covenant doctrine in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 28 and 29. That's right. (laughs) No, they don't want to deal with this stuff. Because for years and years and years, we've been told a lie. We've been lied to. By people that have taken over the pulpits and give some panty-laced three-point sermon that ain't got nothing to do with their life and their brethren and their country. That's what's happened. And it is all fil- the lies have filtered down into individual character and our daily life. Rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering. How much plainer can you get? Why should they be? Why should they take? Why should they rejoice that they're suffering? Why should they rejoice? Continue reading, Brother Jason. That when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. You see there? You remember, you, not ashamed that it's coming, not ashamed, saying you're rich and increased with goods and have no need of nothing, like Revelation 3 talks to the church at Laodicea. And the Lord warns them to get in that fire. Get in that fire. Do you know what fire is associated with? Run a reference on fire throughout the Word of God then, okay? A word search. Study the context where it appears. Buy me gold tried in the fire that your nakedness be not revealed and your shame right there in the context so you'll be joyful instead of sorrowful. So you'll be raised to everlasting life instead of everlasting shame and contempt. Daniel 12, 2. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. (laughs) For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of. But on your part, he is glorified. Talking about Jesus. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other man's matters. Oh, my goodness. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. What behalf? The uh, behalf of his suffering. 
For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Where is the temple of God? That's you, folks. Not the local church. That's you. And if it first begin at us, see, what shall the end be of them that obey not, obey not, obey not, that form of doctrine which we preached unto you, Revel in Romans 6, 7, remember we went over to the other night, that obey not the gospel of God, and if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their soul to him in well-doing and unto a, as unto a faithful creator. You got it, folks? You see there? You see, every decision you make, you've been taught that your decisions are to justify, your decisions are for your betterment. See, that's secular humanism. Your decisions are supposed to be in the light of this book, the Word of God and Jesus Christ, according to what he said. My goodness, my goodness, folks. That's why, that's why my teaching and preaching sticks out like a sore thumb. The church is so stinking worldly today, it's, it's, it, it's, it's enough to make God sick. He says he spew you out of his mouth. There's one more place that I wanted to hit that Peter said, and I can't remember exactly where the verse is. Um, it's somewhere here in Peter where, where Peter talks about. He, te- he tells them, he said, listen, guys, this is what's going to happen. I'm going I'm to I'm paraphrase it. But uh, anybody that's got a concordance can look it up while I'm talking. Peter's talking to the, talking to the Christians here, and he says, hey, guys, this is the way it's going to be. After you've suffered a while, then... See, that's, this is for, that's for every elect. Their suffering is mandatory. Not elective. After you suffer, well, then so and so and so and so. I wish I could quote that verse. I hadn't learned that one. Find it myself. The God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. You got it, folks. Do you hear it? Read that again, brother. Read it. Read it one more time. But the God of all grace, 
who hath called us unto his eternal glory. Has he called you? Has he called you? Are you his people? Are you the elect? Have you answered the call? Have you obeyed the God? All that stuff. And the prerequisite of that is, go ahead, Brother Jason. Eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Now I, I, I've gone long enough tonight, folks. And the point that I've tried, the points that's been brought out, you ought to go over and over and over again. Spirit of God, you will take it and use it in your life, folks. I'm I'm sorry. I'm, I listen. I had to come out of it myself. It wasn't as hard for me because I had a foundational truth. I knew that I had the foundational truth. Therefore, that can't nobody shake my foundation. It's the book, folks. It's the book. As long as you've got the book, you can write all the doctrinal wrong that's been stuck in your head. By the Spirit of God with the humble heart. But if you ain't got the book, you ain't got nothing. You ain't got squat. Heavenly Father, I pray that you take this time that we spent tonight in your book, Father, going from Genesis to Revelation. I pray, Lord God, that you would take these words by your Spirit. Work uh, work in the lives of those that download this program and those that listen to this program or for any of the ones that are in the chat room, Father. You know where you know the Holy Spirit knows where the problem areas are in my life, in their life. Go in there with a screwdriver, Father God, and a hatchet. And make that screw get tighter and tighter and tighter and take that hatchet and cut away that self aggrandizing lustful desire we have to please our own selves. And may we learn more and more through your word how to walk in the spirit so that we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Father, I pray that you'd bless each and every one in the chat room. Give them a special blessing this week, Father, and may they come back Friday night as we continue on with our study on the intelligent mind of evil. And, Father, I pray for those downloaders that you would uh, get some of them, Father, and, and get them to come in here live, Father, where we can know who they are, where we can call them out by name and pray for them, Lord, and put them on, talk to them on the telephone and get a per, the personal relationship going with our brothers and sisters like we're supposed to do. You can't put a brother and sister first if you don't know who they are. You can't put them first if they don't have a part in your life. You see... That's the problem with this at-a-distance stuff, Father. You know what the problems are. You know where the remnant is, and you know how to deal with the remnant, Father. Take the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. Let them be pleasing in your sight, and may the words that I speak, Holy Ghost of God, take them and use them for your honor and glory, which I know you will. And all these things I ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen. God bless you all, and I'll see you Friday night. Love you guys. Don Spears Ministries.
3155 Louisville Street, D1, Clio, Alabama, 36017, telephone 334-397-2333, email joydon1953 at yahoo.com. Uh...